Hey, Carm Capriato here with episode 442. Now, within the past couple of episodes, we've talked about data privacy and the technologies behind it. Now we'll hear for the second time from Joe Register as we keep the technology dialogue going strong right here on the podcast. You know, one of the things we're concerned about with the advent of all these very sophisticated vehicles is, you know, you can't turn these things off. So as a result, you're going to have to repair them over time. And how they work together is just as important as how they work individually. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Carm Capriato here and proud to partner with Apex. Now, even in this technology-driven world, nothing beats the face-to-face meetings I've had at Apex. Now, I know you'll value what you learn and take away at Apex, and the issues Joe and I are talking about today will be front and center at Apex. Plan now to attend. It is the perfect time to commit to go to Apex November 5th through the 7th, 2019 at the Sands Expo in Las Vegas. Now, remember, if you earn your living in the aftermarket, Apex is for you biggest of its kind. For information, visit aapexshow.com. Registrations open right now. See you there. I'm proud to say that we are the only aftermarket podcast that brings you in-depth and on point with no-nonsense discussions about the automotive aftermarket universe, with topics from startups to succession, students to service professionals, and shop owners and technicians, and many more. Join and be part of our growing ecosystem to learn what it takes to help your ship rise. Hey, in just a moment, you'll hear my second interview with Joe Register, who's the Vice President of Emerging Technologies at AutoCare. Now, in Joe's first episode recorded in the fall of 2018 at Apex, it's episode 381, we talk about SVI, Secure Vehicle Interface. Now, if you missed that episode, please listen to it. I'll put a link on the show notes page. Find the key talking points for this episode with Joe at remarkableresults.biz slash E442. Now, Joe and I discuss the risks related to vehicle data security and privacy, the impact of the new technology on the aftermarket, ADAS calibration, and a whole lot more. Get smart if you need talking points for your next networking meeting. Here it is right here with Joe Register. Hey, warm welcome for part two. It's Joe Register from AutoCare, who leads the Emerging Technology Department at the AutoCare Association. Hello, Joe. Hello. How are you, Carm? I'm great, man. Thanks for coming back. Uh, Last time we were together at Apex in my little plexiglass studio there. It was great. And you were in and we talked about secure vehicle interface. We did. Yeah, indeed. And that was episode 381. And uh, I was just sitting in there in awe to hear all the cool things that you were talking about. We were really, I no doubt, talking about the future. But thanks for coming back. I, I put myself in, in, in the place of who Joe Register is and how he does what he does. And I would think that would not want to get up every single morning and look at all the newsletters that you get and say, oh, no, something new again. Well, yes, it's invigorating and it's, a, it's scintillating and it's wonderful, but it is also daunting. Yeah, it seems like every day there is some new widget, some new device, some new challenge for those of us in the aftermarket. It's a wonderful world. It's when you have to pay attention, Carmen. And so you have to decide, 
do I file that in this file? <laughs> is it in the round file or is this something that I should pay attention to, right? Exactly. And, and there's just so much right now in, in the world of uh, transportation in general. We in the, uh, in the vehicle business, uh, repairing cars and, and trucks and so forth. You know, we had it the same for a long, long time, Carm. Not a lot changed for many, many years. And, we, you know, essentially uh, business was pretty much the same. Every time you opened the door, you kind of saw the same people in the same vehicles. And it was wonderful. And then we started, um, we started getting cars that were more intelligent that we were working on. And that started a whole cascade of events from that point on. And there just never seems to be any end to the appetite we have for more information, more and more about the car. What was that date? Do you recall? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'm not so sure I recall the exact day, but believe me, um, the period in my life was, was, was certainly, it certainly stands out. You know, I mean, we, we, we had this first, this diagnostic connector that was kind of on the vehicle. We didn't know much about it and they were proprietary and all that. And then it turned in to uh, the way that we started um, diagnosing vehicles, right? I mean, and, and regulators got on, on side with it and they started setting down certain kinds of requirements for vehicle manufacturers to provide consistency and that became the OBD port and then we had OBD2 and more and more information pours over that port all the time. To the point uh, that you make is that uh, it's, it's undaunting. So, you know, Joe, it seems to me that we're hearing more every day about the risks related to vehicle data security and privacy. There's, it's, there's so much talk about that. Is this really a concern or is it just hype? It's a real concern, Carm, and it's a greater concern all the time. You, you may have heard uh, some of the steps they've taken in Europe to protect their citizens. Um, it's called GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulation, and it's, it's some serious, serious stuff. The uh, people who uh, disregard the law and, and who uh, don't adhere to the policy will find that they can be subject to a fine up to 4% of their revenue. I mean, that's serious business. It's all about privacy, right? Yes, it's all about privacy and, and protecting the person who they're not aware their data is being used. You know, we all have these contracts we sign for cars, and somewhere buried towards the bottom is this release that you give them for the data. But, you know, we've done um, uh, a number of... Uh, different surveys at AutoCare about the real awareness that, uh, you know, these uh, these owners have about their vehicle data. And, and the reality of the situation is most of them don't know that they're, they're giving up their rights on this data. Yeah, I mean, we're used to our smartphones and all our other devices taking data, but cars have some pretty interesting and, and very sensitive information that they can carry. Um, in fact, uh, our own Bill Hanvey, the CEO of, uh, of AutoCare, just uh, published an article through the New York Times on this very fact, and it's called Your Car Knows When You Gain Weight. And uh, it's related to the fact that, you know, uh, manufacturers gather information about your weight in order to properly release airbags so that they have the proper velocity and so forth based on the size of the individual. But over time, they can certainly get, take this information and they can store it and they can use it for their own purposes. And the reason that this is a, a big deal is it's a big business. You know, we're talking about estimates uh, of $233 billion for telematics by the year 2022. So don't you think that the gym down the road is going to send me an ad that says... <laughs> Absolutely. 
Don't you think you should come here? Me more here? than you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely so. You know what? Uh, Bill and I are going to do a podcast on that uh, coming up coming up real soon. So thank, thank you for bringing that up. No, it's terrific. I'm glad you're doing that. It's important to, for people to understand that, you know, the, the information actually is, you know, w- how fast they drive in a particular gear, uh, where they drive, even, you know, information related to their own personal behavior as far as attention. You know, the cameras are coming on the rearview mirrors now. They're not just not pointed outside anymore. They're pointed inside. So if you're distracted or if you don't pay enough attention and so forth, all that's being recorded. GDPR. Is it possible that I heard that California is coming out with a version of that while the U.S. as a federal government has not acted on this yet? That's right. Yeah. And I think some of the states are going to be much more aggressive. And and they are today as far as laws around vehicle repair. You know that, Carm. I mean, you take the laws that are in Michigan and in Florida and in other states, including especially California with the Bureau of Automotive Repair. They are focused very heavily on these kinds of privacy issues. And so I think you'll see state laws popping up first. And, um, you know, where the federal government's going to be slow to react. Same thing happened to right to repair, right? Right to repair, we tried to get traction federally. And after a period of time, we decided, you know what, let's just focus on one particular state and let's make our, you know, our position known and get clarity around it. And we did that in Massachusetts and it was very effective. I can't imagine um, having 50 different right, states exactly. with 50 different privacy rules, laws, and the government just sitting, the federal government sitting by and having all of every company that has multi-state repairs and, you know, uh, the manufacturers that sell everywhere having a different set of rules. The really interesting thing about the ramifications of that is if they take the same tack that, that Europe took with uh, their GDPR, it isn't just about cars in the state of California. In their case, in Europe, it's about you as a European citizen, regardless of where you are. So that law protects you even if you're in California and operating a vehicle in California. So if they take the same tact, you know, there could be interesting ramifications. But I do believe California law covers that. So if you take your car and you drive it to another state, uh, you're, that car is bound by that state law. Yeah, I think that what they're trying to do is not bite off too much. I mean, they're not like a federal entity, right? So, but who knows how it'll end up, Carm? It's hard to say. All right. Well, thank you for that. You know, talk about vehicle manufacturers and the impact on the aftermarket. So, Joe, how and when do we expect the vast array of emerging tech that that's your lifeblood introduced by the manufacturer to impact us here in the aftermarket? It's impacted us significantly already. I usually bucket this into three different categories, Carm, to make sense of it myself. So from that point of view, there's um, information related to vehicle automation and and technologies related to that area. You know, the ADAS piece that we're going to probably uh, talk to specifically in a bit, but ADAS is equipment that everybody sees, and it's the radar and the LIDAR and all the uh, different types of services that ADAS provides. And then finally, there's the communication side. So picture it kind of this way. Your car is flying down the road, and it's getting information from all these sensors that are attached to it, and and that's all reporting kind of its state right around itself. So information about the vehicles around it, how fast it's going, how, you know, if there's, if there's nice clear lines 
you know, between lanes. And then there's going to be this information that starts pouring in for connections to the vehicle. So these are other vehicles and, and reporting information about problems that they are sensing down the road or you're getting too close to a particular vehicle and all this information is pouring in. And then there's the intelligence that's within the vehicle itself. And that's all these very intelligent modules that are connected to the to the vehicle's uh, network. This communications, internal and external communications, is providing the input that these intelligent systems need in order to understand how to keep progressing down this road to more fully automated vehicles and uh, eventually to be able to operate the car uh, independent of the uh, of, of any human interaction. So all those pieces are coming in, you know, into the shops today in various forms. You get some cars maybe that have, you know, 10 or 12 sensors, while there's still other cars that have very few. You know, one of the things we're concerned about with the advent of all these very sophisticated vehicles is, you know, you can't turn these things off. So as a result, you're going to have to repair them over time. And how they work together is just as important as how they work individually. Lots of talk about ADAS and the repair process. And uh, I really do want to start a dialogue on the show about the legal ramifications of, of all of this and what it means to liability someday. Yeah. Yeah, it's very serious stuff. In the podcast opening, I mentioned Apex. Now, let's quickly clarify. You know, Apex is not the same as the SEMA show, and I think you know that. Although both are held in the same week in Las Vegas, you know, at the SEMA show, you'll see cool specialty products. And I get it. I've been there. Wow. Tons of fun. But if your livelihood is keeping your customers' vehicles on the road, and that's how you earn your living, then you have to attend Apex, because Apex is the business side of the aftermarket. Now, Apex is where you can see, feel, touch, and talk the business of the aftermarket. Everything you need is under one roof, including new tools and equipment, advanced training, hands-on demos, and one-on-one meetings with your suppliers and manufacturers, needless to mention the networking you have with your peers. And with your Apex badge, you can also visit the SEMA show. One badge does it all. So plan now to attend Apex, Tuesday, November 5th through Thursday, November 7th at the Sands Expo in Las Vegas. Hey, to learn all about Apex and plan your visit to Industry Week, visit aapexshow.com. So, Society of Automotive Engineers, I keep hearing that SAE Level 5 autonomous vehicles are right around the corner. So, what are the facts? But also, let me say that do we need 5G in order to make all this work? Uh-oh, that's a curveball. But fair game, Carm. Um, the reality of the situation is the DSRC can be used in adjunct with cellular technologies. It isn't an either-or situation. I know a lot of the manufacturers are trying to... Uh, infer that you really can't uh, get the proper information unless you're using cellular, but that's not the case. So hybrid communications are viable. DSRC has its own place. Cellular has its. Uh, no one's saying that you know 5G isn't going to be wonderful, but but no, you can certainly get information through this intelligent transport systems. We talked a little bit about that last time, but you can get information, and in fact, that's the standard that it uses. So the reality of the situation is uh, direct co- connectivity is very important, and you know multiple standards will probably always be the case. Uh, what about 6G? What about 7G? What about 8G? You know, it it just keeps progressing, Carm. There's no end. 
I don't know where I'm going to be when 8G hits. <laughs> well, I think 6G might be just about it for me, but, yeah. you know, we'll see. <laughs> That's really good. So, I don't know, was it five years they talked about 5G and we're still waiting, right? Yeah, so, we still are. And we're still waiting. Um, hey, I'm with Joe Register, who leads the Emerging Technology Platform Department at the Auto Care Association, and he and I had a great episode, 381. You need to listen to it. It's all about secure vehicle interface. And we're kind of doing part two here. Hey, Joe, what are the puts and the takes in servicing vehicles equipped with advanced technologies and automated driving functions, like you talked about, such as adaptive cruise, automatic braking, lane departure? Terrific services, by the way, and they do help keep the consumer safe, which is great. They have to be properly um, maintained, and they have to be... um, properly calibrated in order to be effective. Um, the puts are tremendous new business opportunity, right? I mean, there here are all these new devices and they're on the exterior of the car in the main. And, you know, they do, they are subject to abuse and wear and collision and everything under the sun. So those parts are not inexpensive. And as a result, that's new business. And the calibration of them, you know, a significant business to be in. Now, with those puts, aside from the new revenue, are the takes, which is, you know, all around the equipment that you have to invest in. I mean, there can be up to 20 grand or so in specific tools that these manufacturers recommend that you use to, to do the calibrations. There is the, the space Quite frankly, you know, some manufacturers have some unrealistic space demands, you know, 40 feet in front of a vehicle. I don't know how many shops you've seen with alignment bay that have uh, 40 feet in front of the rack, but not too many, I would I would suggest. And the targets are all different between vehicles. And so between all of those equipment factors and you've got to have a really good alignment rack because I just want to bring this up that you need a nice flat surface, something that you know is perfectly flat in order to be able to base those measurements. So aside from that is the training. And that may be the biggest thing over time, Carm. I mean, you know, getting people up to speed. There's really two sides to this. And, I, and I've been intrigued. I've talked to a few people about the training side and looking for ways that we could probably have some kind of certification around it, either with some of the existing groups or maybe with new groups. But they're saying, well, what we really want to do is get people so they can read. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, mean, I guess um, tongue in cheek, perhaps. But the reality is that much of the material. No shortcuts, right? No shortcuts. Okay. You have to read all the way through the, the manufacturer's recommendations, right? So getting from all the way from point one to point 15 without skipping around is, is going to be very important. But I think that also the fact that the manufacturers could do a lot more to help us maintain their brand image and their vehicles by coming up with some standardized ways in order to be able to do recalibration. So AutoCare is spearheading a task force that is um, actually working on that very, very piece to take to SAE and ISO recommendations for standardization of ADAS calibration. You know, hoping uh, the day eventually comes when they're self-calibrating. We hear that's in the future. But between now and then, there's a lot of vehicles pouring out on the road with uh, the need to have manual recalibration. What I think about is so many of the vehicles that have ADAS systems today, uh, we're going to need guys to calibrate them for the next 10 years. They're going to be on the road for 10 plus years. Will ADAS calibration become a cottage industry where maybe two or three guys in a community are going to just be doing it? What we've seen right now is some the guys at Dynamic Auto, I'll give them a little plug here, terrific guys and some of our members and very active. And 
they've been very proactive and got you know got themselves a brand new alignment rack with all kinds of um, you know capability. They're doing the training and all the rest. They've kind of been you know going around the neighborhood and talking to both OE franchise dealers as well as other shops in the area, and and talking about you know so hey what do you have for you know the ability to recalibrate and et cetera et cetera. And we're pretty surprised to find that there wasn't as much activity around this as you'd think, right? The investments aren't really coming at the clip that you would expect. And even some manufactured dealerships are uh, not comfortable with doing this recalibration yet on vehicles, especially the ones that hang a sign out that says all brands. Um, you know, they they may not be prepared for what that really means from an investment perspective. So um, it's been interesting to hear their feedback into, well, you know, me, we may let you have that business, Dwayne. I mean, <laughs> we're not so sure we want to dive into all that. Well, Wayne, Wayne and his uh, team down there from Dynamic, they're they're on the cutting edge of so many things. Wayne Myers, uh, Lee Foreman, and Jose Boesso, great people, good contributors to the show. And a shout-out to Jose. He hasn't been feeling real oh, well. So. Well, good. Uh, uh, for me, too, then. You mentioned training. I had a chance to sit through a ADAS training seminar because I'm not a wrench. You all know that. And so I said, I'm going to do this. Good Got the book you. set in, rolled up my sleeves, asked questions, and then participated with uh, all these other owners and technicians in a calibration of a front radar on a Camry, Toyota Camry. Oh, okay. Again, eye-opening, and I, and I have to encourage anyone in the industry, at any level in the industry, to go to an ADAS class and sit there with your mouth open for a while to, you know, all the different sensors, what's going on, and, uh, you know, the alignments, and the plumb bobs, and the measures, and then you sit there and you ask yourself this question, Joe, that you mentioned a little while back. How come they can't self-calibrate once I put this thing up here? <laughs> right. It should be able to just do it all itself. Yeah, bingo. Snap your fingers. It's an interesting thing about calibration concept anyway. I mean, there has to be a point of reference that you know is true. So one of the things that, you know, you do a lot when you went to the class, Carmen, they, you know, make sure that it's totally flat surface, make sure that there's nothing reflecting, make sure all these things, right? And so to think about this thing just healing itself at night in a typical garage probably is not going to be very realistic, not, not in the near future anyway. I think this will be like everything else. You know, you asked the question about, well, you know, so when are we really going to see all this, uh, you know, level five stuff? You know, I mean, the dates keep getting pushed out, right? I mean, some people are saying 2030. Yeah, still seems like a, a little too early to me. Self-calibrating uh, vehicles with all those sensors and equipment down the road. Uh, I certainly don't feel comfortable trying to give you a projection of when that could be, especially for the majority of vehicles. Um, but it's, it's many years from now. Okay, so features, behaviors, and even the names of these Automated driving functions seem to vary by brand. Oh, my God, we're going to have to deal with that, right? Right. Are there any recognized standards that you see, Joe, guiding the implementation of these advanced systems? Uh, or are we going to have to live and adapt to each manufacturer's design and marketing strategy? 
Today, that's the case, Carm. The problem is it's it's very similar with the names for the components and the modules and everything else. It seems like you have to swear allegiance to one brand and one brand only to become an expert on some of this stuff. And that's just not practical, obviously. The standardization that's been done for year over year in, in SAE, ISO, and IEEE and other groups has really helped to the, the, the person that's faced with the challenge of repairing multiple brands of vehicles, like any one in the aftermarket is. Get some consistency. Get some nomenclature consistency. At least call them the same damn thing. But one of the problems is that they don't behave the same way. You may be very used to something like adaptive cruise control in a, in a GM vehicle. And then if you get into a Ford vehicle, it may behave differently. Now, I'm not talking about radically differently, but I'm talking about different, different enough that it might throw you off. Then the same thing would be true of another brand of vehicle. There hasn't been an effort to standardize this because why? Because manufacturers all want to differentiate their brands with their what they think is the, you know, their very best cut on the on the invention of that wheel. You know, they just haven't seen the need to get together and and bring these points together. But we're pushing. And we're going to be pushing harder. And then we're going to start with the ADAS piece um, since we've already been down the road a bit on this with the SVI piece, which you mentioned earlier. So we're going to use the same approach. You're right. If there's ever any certification, it would be nice to have a single nomenclature, wouldn't it? It certainly would. And I mean, getting back to this thing about, you know, branding, you know, it used to be that we would all look at brands of vehicles and we would, in our minds, if it was a hot vehicle, it had uh, a really high performance engine and a real snappy shift linkage and you could get in in and out of gear quickly and you could get down the road. Those were all the desirable features of vehicles besides how cool they looked and so forth. Uh, nowadays, it's all the, the it's all the gadgets and and all of the functionality electronics of the vehicle that are differentiating it. Have you seen my center stack? <laughs> no, I haven't. But I certainly still respect a, a high performance vehicle. In everyday, you know, owner that comes in and shops for a vehicle, those electronics they want to make sure it pairs with their phone. They want to make sure all this stuff works. And the reality is that you know each one of those operates differently and you get some you know specific brand training for each one of those or you don't and then you don't you know you don't get the value of the vehicle that you bought okay so all this tech that's going on out there joe um the diyer must be completely out yeah that's an understatement if i was somebody that that lifted a hood on a brand new vehicle and I was going to attempt to do my own repair on that vehicle. Now, hopefully they don't have to repair a brand new vehicle. But you might be hard-pressed to even name all the components that you see, even if you're, even if you're a, um, a capable DIYer. Where do you get the parts? Well, in many cases, the reality is that most of the parts will come from the OE for quite some time. It's getting tougher and tougher for us as the aftermarket to stay up on all the laws that are surrounding things like intellectual property of electronics and so forth. So let's say you have an OE part and let's say you want to install a manufacturer, an aftermarket manufacturer's replacement for that. You've got to somehow get the software that's on that original module over to a replacement module without breaking any laws. Now, Lord knows, Carm, that's tough enough for any, you know, shop with a sophisticated setup and all the technicians properly trained. It's double tough for any DIYer to understand how to perform that same kind of maintenance. 
So maybe uh, it's a blessing uh, that the technology exists and that we're putting all this tech in our vehicles today for job security in the automotive aftermarket. Think about the jobs that we're going to have someday. You know, I think maybe you and I had chatted about that, the network specialists. Right. That's what we're, we're, that's what we're going to start hiring. Quite frankly, uh, more and more, it's the people who are savvy from a communications perspective that are really coming in as a new diagnosticians, Carm. I mean, let's face it. I mean, this CAN bus is eventually, it's way antiquated, is eventually going to get replaced with Ethernet. Now, that rings a bell, right? I mean, Ethernet is what you use for the Internet and to be able to connect. It's the same technology. It's the same baseline tech. And so the reality is, if you're going to get in and diagnose the car, you're diagnosing computers and modules. Those modules are so sophisticated, they're little computers and they're all connected. They talk to each other. They talk to their sensors and they have some sense of um, their relationship to each other. And it's all artificial, obviously. But the reality is that when you take one out, You may have to tell all the rest of them, hey, I just replaced this one. And then there's this whole loop that goes through for the diagnostics. Yeah, relearning. Relearning. Exactly right. So refreshing to hear you share your wisdom with us. And uh, boy, do you sleep at night with all this going on? (laughs) You know, Carm, I have have all the faith in the world in the aftermarket. I always have. I've been in this, this particular market segment for 45 years. And what I've seen is people have said, well, you know, electronic ignition, that's if the aftermarket or, you know, fuel injection, that's it for the aftermarket or whatever. But you know what? We have very capable technicians and very capable distributors and manufacturers that are going to keep up, but we have to give them the support. The reality is that this is not going to be a simple climb through the technology stack. It's going to take effort. It's going to take training and it's going to take dedication to, to stay up. And that's that's exactly what all of us face. Some of us who have been around for a long time, it's not time to relax yet. We've got a lot to learn. Hey, finally, uh, I have a six-year-old car, and it's got blind spot on it, and it's just so cool. And when I let that car go and it gets, gets into the hands, I'm the second owner of that car. When it gets into the, the hands of the third owner, maybe another six years from now, are they going to be able to get the parts to fix that because they love blind spots? One of the real problems when it comes down to vehicles with the part availability and all the rest, there are so many ways in which you can mess something up nowadays, Carm. Ways that you need to be aware of the changes you make. I'll give you an example. Let's say, for instance, that you're, because you're such a savvy uh, vehicle owner, you decide to put a lift kit on your vehicle. Now, when you put a lift kit on that vehicle, you've just changed the ride height. When you've changed the ride height, you've now changed the relationship of the sensors that are on it. When you've changed the relationship of the sensors that are on it, you may not, your car may not be where it thinks it is in the lane or where it is in proximity to other vehicles. Over time, the modifications that people make, maybe they put in some custom software. Maybe they, like I say, do a lift kit. Maybe they change and drop the series of the tires so that they're lower profile tires. All these changes are cumulative. 
And the third owner now has got all these things. Now, you know, I mean, you would hope that a responsible owner would pass along the modifications they make. But, you know, the reality of the situation is that I've sold a couple of cars in my life that I haven't spent the amount of time I probably should have educating who I was selling it to. And and that's just the nature of the business, right? You just sell a car. So then they're going to be in discovery mode, right? Well, what's different? I, I just took my car in. They can't calibrate it. It's not, it, you know, the manufacturer's specs aren't working. And then finally, at the end of the day, let's say that you buy a car for, well, let's say 15 grand. And now you go in and some of these modifications either have to be undone or they have to, you have to try to get the right information for them. Well, there's no big off switch for these functionalities, right? You can't just turn all that automation off. It's part of the vehicle. It's part of the engineering. And so when, when they are faced with a $5,000 bill for, you know, two radar units and, you know, a LIDAR that needs to be replaced and then a recalibration, that's going to be tough, right? So we've always kind of said, well, you know, the tertiary owner of a vehicle is, you know, just kind of keeping it limping along for the end of its life. But the reality is that all this automation is going to have a price and there's no way you can operate the vehicle without it being in proper calibration. Mind numbing, Joe. Thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Uh, I know I won't sleep well tonight after hearing well, you that. Join me, right? Staying up, we'll call each other at two a.m. I had some really profound thoughts the other day when I let my mind wander. The weird things happen, and I was thinking about um, quality of brakes in stopping the vehicle, especially if ADAS is coming in, and you know we didn't put you say an OE equivalent brake on it, and that's another story for a different time for me and you. But the other, the other thought that I was having was spring and ride height. You know, you just said somebody put a lift kit in, and I was thinking I've got a 100,000-mile vehicle. I know I'm sagging. I know I'm not doing the right thing, but I happen to have a front radar sensor on it, and so the the car gets tested, and then I end up convincing myself that, yeah, let's put the springs on. I want my, uh, like, new ride going on, and now the vehicle's up an inch and a half, Will that vehicle come and tell me, hey, we're not seeing forward like we should? Well, no, probably not. It's a, it's a real issue, right? I mean, the problem is, again, back to this known reference. That's what all the targets and all the information that you have are for, right? The the perfectly perpendicular line, right, that, you know, the the plumbob is, is going to provide you and all of that, all, those are all reference points. Now, unless you go through the process of re-referencing the vehicle, you know, you may not know all those inconsistencies and their cumulative effect. Understand, it's not just one change. You described a couple of changes that you're making to the vehicle, so they're cumulative. I'll give you, I'll give you uh, some insight to um, uh, the, the one example I have in my mind is uh, a GM lift kit that they have for one of their trucks. And, and the lift kit is only sold by GM. And you can install it as a DIYer if you have the Moxie and you have the, the proper equipment. But there are instructions for the recalibration of the sensor network after you've put that on. Now, that's not available unless you want to invest in their kit, Carl. <laughs> well, wait a minute. But the DIYer wouldn't have would the they equipment do that? to do the calibration. Right. So they put the kit on because they can. And then you've got to take a trip. And then you've got to go to an ADAS calibration center. Now, 
between the time you put that on and you get to the calibration center, if you're out of calibration, you may, you may have some problems with your vehicle in between those two destinations. So, so the point is, it probably is in your best interest to have GM do the work as well. Your dashboard would be lit like a Christmas tree, I'm sure. Mm. Another great fistful of insights from you. Joe Register, Vice President, Emerging Technology at AutoCare. Now, please, if you loved this one, go back and listen to episode 381 as Joe and I spent some time talking about secure vehicle interface. And that was that was a mind-blowing um, episode. So thank you so much for that. My pleasure. And, and I just want to encourage everyone to stop by our booth in this year's Apex, 2019 Apex booth. There's going to be information about everything we discussed in there, Carm, and uh, kind of what we're doing uh, to try to help the aftermarket stay current with all this uh, exciting new innovation. Well, great. Uh, I'm going to be there as usual, and maybe that will be that will be the perfect third episode with you this uh, this November. Huh? I'd be happy to do it. Always a pleasure. Fabulous, Carm. man. Thanks so much, Joe. My pleasure. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.